1: We are back for another edition of the DFS strategy show right here on awesome.com. That's the fighter, Pete Rogers, jr. I am Jason Floyd. Of course, UFC fight Island. Number three coming up on Saturday night, 15 fight car. We're going to break all this one down for you. Of course, we are sponsored by super draft. as, uh, always tell you about super draft. Here on the show. You got to check out, uh, some of those multipliers they have over at super draft right now. But, uh, Pete, uh, 15 fight card. It's going to make roster construction pretty easy, pretty interesting on this one, especially when you talk about the top option of Chimenev at 9.8 K on DraftKings.
2: Yeah. And crazy week. Uh, It's a very, very crazy week. Very interesting. Um, so many options to plug in so many opportunities to take advantage of, um, you have 9.8 fighter. I don't remember the last time I've ever seen that. That's insane. And, uh, Talk about a crazy card! I'm excited to get into it. You talk about a nice, uh, closely contested bout between Whitaker and Till. I just can't wait. Certainly, I th-
1: I think the I'm thinking of Shevchenko. Maybe it was like nine six or maybe nine yeah. seven in one of her title fights. But I can't. Nothing. I don't think there's ever you know been someone this high that I can at least remember of. You know, we always talk about how the pricing varies on the different platforms. And, and this is another perfect example. FanDuel puts so much weight on the main event. You actually have to pay a dollar more for Robert Whitaker than you have to pay for Chimenev.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it just, they inflate the five-round fights over on FanDuel. So, um you know, in a five-round fight, a I mean, main event, it's supposed to be a closely contested fight. It's a you know it's the highlight of the whole card. So I understand what they're doing, but in this case, Jamayev at twenty and uh, Whitaker twenty one is is pretty crazy.
1: Oh, Jamayev will be a staple in my FanDuel lineups. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah. Now, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. Super draft at one times, eh? Not exactly real interested in that.
2: Yeah, I'm with you on that.
1: Uh, one of the things uh Jared mentioned in chat cyborg was 10k once that makes that makes a lot of sense
2: yeah I, I think uh between cyborg and Shevchenko I think those are really only two only two people I don't think GSP was ever that high um and same for John
0: Jones
1: of course uh, be sure to uh, hit that thumbs up button here on YouTube start firing those questions right now in the chat this is your first time watch us. What well, we do here on the strategy show, we start with the main event, work our way down with 15 fights. We're going to try to get through these things here pretty quickly here over the next hour or so. Uh, but of course, you mentioned Robert Whitaker versus Darren Till, the main event here. Uh, when you look over on Super Drafts, 1.2 times for Robert Whitaker, 1.35 times for Darren Till. Over on FanDuel, $21 for Whitaker, $19 for Darren Till. And then on DraftKings, $8,300 for the former middleweight champion, and then 7,900 for Till. Uh, I think there's, there's got to be buyer beware on, on both sides of this fight here, Pete. I think first off on the Robert Whitaker side is, I think you you kind of have this question mark of, uh, you know, he's been through some wars in his past couple of fights, and, and obviously the, the two fights against Joel Romero, and then the knockout loss where he lost his title against Israel and But I think on the other side, the buyer beware on Darren Till is, if you want to be a Darren Till backer, your whole thought process has got to be he's going to knock him out because you can't have a thought process of, oh, this fight's going to go 25 minutes because um, I went to uh, his stats. The most significant strikes Darren Till has landed in a fight is 49. He had a five-round fight against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. He landed 38 significant strikes in 25
2: minutes of fighting, and he I- won. I don't see how, I mean, I remember the fight obviously, but it's just crazy to think about the numbers. And uh, we have fighters that throw that much in one round. And for him to not do that in 25 minutes is crazy. Um, You know, the volume definitely sides with Whitaker here. And you bring up a good point. It's KO or bust for Till. But uh, we have seen Whitaker take a ton of damage lately.
1: Yeah. uh, One of the the questions uh, from Cameron in the chat, and I think it's a great question. Should we look at fading the main event on FanDuel?
2: Um, I think because of the amount of options, it's it's definitely um, a logical approach. This week, more than any other week, there's so many different ways the card can go. And, uh, you know, say Till does win a decision, he probably won't score the best based on his volume. Um, if you're backing Till, you're expecting a stoppage. If Whitaker wins a decision, you're looking at a really nice score because he throws a ton of volume over four strikes a minute. So that, that's definitely some uh, high point upside for Whitaker for sure. Oh, I'm
1: gonna have a lot of shares for Robert Whitaker. I'm gonna have a lot of shares.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm gonna have I'm gonna split my ownership a little bit. I think it's a. it's pretty close. I think I can see the fight going either way. Um the problem with Whitaker is how much damage he's taken. I mean, granted, we've seen them both get knocked out recently. Um, but Whitaker does a lot of looping explosive movements to get inside and get close. And if you take a quick look and a closer look at Darren Till, you'll notice that he's very good at doing what we call a pull counter. So he pulls back and, and fades back and throws heavy shots, whether it's it's a cross or a rear uppercut, kind of similar to Conor McGregor in that sense when he fought Jose Aldo, of how he stepped back and threw that big left hand. Um, you know, I can definitely see a a spot in the fight where Till cracks and hurts Whitaker. Um But, you know, you think about how much damage he took in the UL Romero battles and how UL Romero wasn't able to finish him. So it's hard to invest heavily in either guy. I will probably like the value of Till here at 7900 just to kind of help out my lineups a little bit, Jason. But in saying that, it's like a uh, 55-45 split for me, a little bit lean towards towards Till for me.
1: Not with you on that, bro. That's okay.
2: That's okay. And and I think it all it all comes down to roster construction. Like, I'm not avoiding Whitaker.
1: Yeah. Uh there was a great question, just a Hunter, or a comment by Hunter in the chat. It says Whitaker can take him down too. Glad you bring that up, Hunter. Because that is definitely a thought I had. So I was like, okay, I was I was driving around, and of course, you know, I just think of these things, you know, at various times. And I'm like, okay, I got to go onto uh, the stats website and see how many takedowns he's got. You got to go back to 2015. The last time Robert Whitaker scored a takedown, that was against Uriah Hall. He's had zero takedowns in his last six fights. Now look, with two of the fights against Joe Romero, yeah, you're not going for a takedown.
2: Right. Yeah, of course not. Um, you know, I, I think that Till's the bigger guy, and obviously the cardio edge and the pace favors Whitaker for sure. So that's why I'm I'm definitely behind Whitaker on a ton of my lineups. But I'm not going to avoid exposure to Till because of the of the fact that it goes five rounds. Because I think that Till has a big, big left hand and has enough power that he can put away most people in the division.
1: It is for me. It's more of a DK fight than a, a DK and, and super draft fight. Yeah, it is a FanDuel fight.
2: Yeah, probably FanDuel. I'd stay away it's hard to stay away from five rounds though, Jason, because anything can happen. You think you have a grip on what's going to happen in an MMA fight and one scramble or one good round, or, you know, just because we haven't seen till have a significant output doesn't mean that's going to be the constant going forward. I mean, that's a good way to to base our projections or base our decisions is based on what we've seen. But uh, there are plenty of times when people go out there and do what hasn't been done already. So maybe till, ups his volume here because if he has that volume like he did against Kelvin Gastelum, he's going to be behind on the scorecards.
1: Eric in the chat says Whitaker is a shot fighter. Till is going to smash him. I, I'm not well, I'm not willing to say Whitaker is a shot fighter. Um, I, one thing I always do like is when you do get knocked out in the way that he did, the fact of he took time and, and obviously, you know, yeah. there was the, the, you know, things going on on the middle side where he just had to, he had to take a pause. And I like that of when you get knocked out the way and you have the wars he's had to to, to let the brain uh,
2: rest for a while. Yeah, I mean, you can't take anything away from Whitaker, he's a former champion and he knows what it takes to to win at a very, very high level. Darren Till's relatively inexperienced in situations like this. I mean, you think of the Tyron Woodley fight, um, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson fights that have gone, you know, the, the, the distance. Um, well, Woodley ended up, you know finishing him but in big situations till really hasn't delivered maybe the circumstances are different here and you know the momentum and motivation is behind till because in training he looks incredible i'm, I'm big on team Kalban a lot this week and uh it's an exciting fight it's very very close
1: and someone asked about uh, who is Till KO'd in the UFC. The answer would be two different fighters, Wendell Olivero, which would have been his UFC debut. And the other one, Donald Cerrone back in 2017.
2: Yeah. I mean, the problem would, would be the size of till the range. Like you can say that Whitaker fought UL Romero, but UL Romero is so, so small in stature wise and, and length. Whereas Till's a big, big guy, even for 185 pounds, pretty crazy that he used to fight at 170 pounds. But Till really hasn't gone out there and knocked out a lot of people. So if you're a little skeptical about, you know, rostering Till, I don't blame you at all. Whitaker's the easy, easy play here, and in, in not to overthink it too much for most of your lineups.
1: Yeah. Uh, co-main event, we got a battle of a 38-year-old and a 44-year-old, Goodness. and it's going to be their third fight. Shogun Hua taking on Little Nog, Little Nog 1.5 times on Super Draft, 1.25 times for Shogun. Over on DraftKings, 9,000 for Shogun, 7,200 for Little Nog, and on FanDuel, $18 and $13 respectively. In terms of that, this is one of those fights that I I, I think up and down this entire fight card, I just go, I see a lot of decisions, and. When both these guys were younger fighters, much younger fighters, Shogun won the both previous means by decision. Do you, you know, and Lil Nog has talked about this being his last fight. Does the stoppage come in this the third time around?
2: It could. Um, the only way that I would think is based on age, damage, accumulation over a career. And now, you know what I mean? How much, how many shots can you really take in your career? They've both been on the bad side of beatings, though, so I, I can't really side with one guy or another and say, like, this guy's going to go out there and get completely wiped out because they both taking a ton of shots, ton of damage, and we've seen inconsistencies in both of their careers. Shogun Hua is 10-9-1 in the UFC, and uh, Lil Nog is 6-6 and 6 in the UFC. So, I mean, eh, records, eh, you know, compared to most of the division. Bro. Since 2015, Shogun's 4-1-1. One, one. I know. You wouldn't think that, though, right? Like, when we bring up Shogun and we think about his struggles, it's almost like recent memory is kind of forgotten, and you just are, like, highlighted with him getting beaten. Like, it's crazy. Um, Dude, the Paul, the Paul Craig fight, he is getting
1: wrecked. Destroyed
2: by Paul Craig, <laughs> right on the feet. So, Paul Craig's a grappler and usually isn't good with resistance. And then he goes out there against Shogun Hua and he's not really mystified by the name and goes out there and just starts bombing on him. So you don't really know what you're going to get with either one of these guys. There are a lot of question mark fights. It's like, goodness, I mean, I really have no interest in watching this fight. It's going to happen, so obviously you have to take a stance on it. I think Shogun's the logical side here. Um, I think he's got the better overall game, even though Nag is, is a little deceptive with his striking. He has good boxing. But and, and Jiu Jitsu, of course. But I think that at thirty eight, Shogun probably has just a little bit left in the tank as as opposed to Noguera. Dude, don't knock it. Yeah. Shogun could be like two wins away from a title shot. I no. No, stop it. I would hope I mean, thirty okay. eight? Who's who's his past couple wins? It's exactly. It's not gonna get him in the title shot. <laughs> So it's light heavyweight, bro. Paul Craig. No,
1: it's light Uh, heavyweight.
2: No, it's, this is a fight that really I could care less about watching. Um,
1: Why why are you hating
2: on Shogun? Wait, Wait, have you lost money on Shogun before? I don't, I've never been a Shogun guy. I really haven't. I mean, all respect to the guys. I, they're legends in the sport as far as like enjoying their fights. Almost every time I tune in, they're underwhelming. It's like uh, the pride days. It's not pride anymore. It, back in the pride days, okay. they were both incredible.
1: So looking at this four in one stretch he's had, wins against Lil' Nog, Corey Anderson, John Vellante, Tyson Pedro.
2: Come on. <laughs> but, I mean, it's it's okay. Corey Anderson's a borderline top yeah. five light heavyweight. Corey Anderson, yes. Corey Anderson. But Corey Anderson was one loss away. Like if Johnny Walker starched him – you know that UFC doesn't really like Corey Anderson. Come on, so he does
1: not. He, I would say this: he doesn't uh, have a fighting style they prefer.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So, I mean, Shogun resorted to takedowns previously to kind of make sure that anytime that fights are close, that he can really make sure he gets gets the rounds. Nog has his moments in the boxing department, and you know, it takes one shot. I do think that Shogun is able to do enough, but the motivation behind nog's last fight we'll see
1: yeah at four at at age 44 and you've already said this is going to be your last fight it's really it's really tough to get on the little nog uh bandwagon uh i would say this i would probably be more interested at shogun on super draft than the other two platforms
2: i'd agree with that i mean on DraftKings, could he stop nog sure it's really a fight that there's so many other options. Like, why roster a fight where you're feeling uncomfortable? Like, you know, for me, I I just choose elsewhere.
1: I got a lot of those fights on yeah, Saturday.
2: <laughs> this card is really weird. Fifteen fights, several weird fights.
1: Yeah, definitely. But uh, of course, mention about uh, Super Draft, and we are sponsored by Super Draft. The future of daily fantasy sports has arrived. Experience Superdraft's exclusive game mode multiplier. Say goodbye to salary restrictions and hello to lineup freedom. Use your fantasy sports knowledge to draft any player you want and build your very own dream team. Countless line of possibilities let you experience daily fantasy sports the way you want. Superdraft offers contests for PGA, NASCAR, and MMA so you can enjoy the best of DFS all year round. Sign up for Superdraft today using the promo code AWESOME010 and it's $10 free on your first deposit of $10 or more and $20 total free you on your first deposit of $100 or more. Download in the App Store or play at SuperDraft.io. SuperDraft's no limits, more winning. Now, of course, you always hear Pete and I talking about the tools that we have over at AwesomeO Plus and some of the tools that we use and help build
0: Chumba, ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for
1: details. ...our lineups, not just in MMA, in other sports. and uh, You got to check out this great deal we have going on right now at Awesome o Plus as sports are back. And we're giving you the first month of Osmo awesome Plus half off when you use a promo code RESTART at checkout. That's only $45 for a month of Awesome O's leading DFS projections tools, and content for NBA, MLB, PGA, and more. Celebrate the return of sports with this great deal. You won't find a better value anywhere else. This offer is valid through August 3rd. Once again, that is promo code RESTART, so you definitely want to check that out. Also, be sure to follow Awesomeo on Facebook and Instagram as we have free Osmo Plus player projections up there for NBA, MLB, PGA, MMA, and more. And on, follow us on Instagram at Osmo underscore com. Also, the Osmo Facebook page daily. So make sure to give those accounts a follow. Uh, next up, we got uh, Fabricio Verdun takes on Alexander Gustafsson. Gustafson. Gustafsson back from retirement. Just another reason why you never believe retirement's in MMA. Pete, when, the day you tell me you're retired, I'm going to go, you're full of it. You ain't <laughs> retired. Yeah, we know. It's going
2: good take. Yeah, we know too many people that say that R word, and you know, I'm not a big fan of when people are mentioning retirement because it's like, I don't know, you've already started to question your career, start thinking about other things you could be doing. So, I this this fight, man, Fabricio Verdum, where is he at at age 42, losing on the feet basically to Alexei Olenek, who's a very very good grappler. Gustafson's bumping up the heavyweight probably because he thinks that most heavyweights stink and that he can just outspeed everybody. Hey. And he's probably right for most people. Do, but.
1: do you think Gustafson was watching UFC 249? Yes. Like,
0: Ooh. Yes.
2: Give me my phone. Give me my phone. Let, let's text Dana. 100%. He's sitting there retired and then is looking for an easy matchup. And I don't think that this is an easy, easy matchup against Fabrizio Verdun. You're talking about moving up in the heavyweight division, you're going to be faster than everybody. But can you take the shots that they're going to deliver? Or what about if they press you against the cage or they get on top of you on the ground? How are you going to deal with that? I mean, offensively, if you can use your footwork and dance around them and pepper them with some shots, Gustafson should win this all day long. Like Alexio Olenek was out there outlanding and being more aggressive than Fabrizio Verdum and had him in some big, big trouble. I think Gustafson's going to be able to pepper him to a, to a victory here. But I will definitely sprinkle in Fabrizio over Doom. There's no way I'm avoiding him at 6,900 if he goes the takedown route. If he's if he's smart, he presses Gustafson against the cage and he starts to work his jiu-jitsu. But you have to think Fabrizio's really a guy that's good off of his back, like the best guard in MMA. So maybe he's even willing to pull guard, like I like he doesn't want to stand with Alexander Gustafson. I can almost guarantee you that.
1: You mentioned about the price point on on DraftKings for Fabricio Verduma, 6,900, 9,300 for Alexander Gustafsson on on DK. Over on FanDuel, $19 for Gustafsson, $12 for Fabricio Verduma over at Superdraft. If you think Verduma's going to pull this thing off, 1.6 times multiplier, man. That's a nice multiplier there at Superdraft. And for Gustafsson, Um, 1.15. One of the comments we had in the chat, uh, from Eric, he says, Gustafsson is a lock. He needed to move up to heavyweight. I, I don't know if I would say he needed to move up to heavyweight. He might just got to a point he was tired of weight cutting more than anything else. Um, you know, the one storyline that's come out of Abu Dhabi over the past couple of days is this sparring session from like apparently 10 or 12 years ago, where uh, each side has a different side of the story, which um, that's a common thing in MMA. It's a very common thing where one guy's like, oh, man, I, I lit him up. The other guy's like, no, you did it, like, Pete, I'm sure you have those stories.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, but that that's only they really know. So, I mean, if somebody signs the dotted line, obviously they believe they can beat you. So, that's Verdum thinks that in training or right now, he saw something against Alex that he can expose, and Alex thought the same thing. So, I wouldn't weigh too heavily on the training session. Um, Gustafson really struggled as of late too. I, I don't want people thinking that you know, that Gustafson's a lock here because he's not. I mean, the guy really has looked good, but also submitted by by Anthony Smith. And in ten and six in the UFC, Verdum's eleven and six in the UFC. This is a close fight, but I think the range of Gustafson is going to be able to do enough.
1: Which fighter do you think has the more recent win? I'm going to say Fabricio. It is Fabricio. Fabricio scored the winner of Marcin Tibera November 19th of 2017. Earlier that year in May, it was the last time Gustafson won a fight.
2: Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. And I, I know that Gustafson had amazing highlights in his career, and you remember him against John Jones and Glover Zashera and just piecing up that whole division. But we have to look at what he is now. Same thing with Fabricio Verdun. And if Verdum comes in looking like he did against Alexi Olenek, I still like Gustafson's chances.
1: I want to see what he looks like on the scale
2: tomorrow. That, that's what I'm saying. So these are like pre-fight, I mean, pre-weigh-in predictions. When we see guys weigh in and then we're able to really gather ourselves and come back for our live before lock, that's when we really have a nice read on the whole card. But if he comes comes into this fight similar to how he was against Alexi Olenek, man, I like Alex. Yeah, I mean, it, it. it's, I mean, look,
1: especially, and we're going to get the up here momentarily is, is if you like some high price options, I don't know how much I love Gustafsson at 9,300, just because, you know, my concern, my, always my thought is when I'm taking a 9,000 option, especially if they're, and, and when they're not the main event is, can they get the finish? Can they pay off that price?
2: Right. I mean, if he doesn't get the finish at 9,300. You expect his output to be crazy and him win a decision with, like I don't know, 150, 130 significant strikes, something around that range, so you can end up with a 90-something score or 100-point score. Let me let me throw out some stats for you, uh, Jason. Uh, Gustafson, four strikes a minute output. Verdum, 3.61. Strikes absorbed for Gustafson, 3.44. Absorbed for Verdum, 2.62. So, I mean, Gustafson throws slightly more in a, in a three-round fight. But his, his accuracy for his uh, strikes is only 40%. Mm. Striking defense for Verdun, 55%. So, you know what I mean? Like, we're, we're splitting hairs here. But I think that Gustafson should really be able to do enough. I just don't know if the volume and the performance is going to justify that 9300 price
1: tag. But we also – we all remember what we saw – back in Verdoom's last fight too, you know, you have to imagine we're going to get a better version of Verdoom than what we saw against Olenek. You would hope
2: so. I mean, look, if I had a fight and I looked horrible like that, okay. I would do everything in my power to have that not happen again. So I would imagine Verdoom's made adjustments, just like Gustafson's made adjustments and they may come in it, looking amazing, but I, at this point, I got to side with the younger fighter.
1: And I believe it's the last fight on Verdum's contract.
2: Motivation too, man. Yeah, I mean, motivating factors are big in MMA. It, it's the truth. That's why the performance bonuses and fight of the night, those things exist to give fighters incentives.
1: Uh, we t- we've t- always talk about roster construction. There's a question in the chat about this uh, from Camry. He says, when you build a lineup, how do you balance between high, mid, and low price options, like two of... Each three and three or one, three, two.
2: So for me, I like to find at least one high-priced fighter that I like. I mean, it's very rare to find a card where all the high-priced fighters are terrible and you don't like any of the options or any of the matchups. I think you can always talk yourself into one of them. And if I can back one of them and feel pretty confident in one of them, then I, I really don't care about the one, three, two, or whatever. I, I kind of just try to balance out my lineup for fights that I think that they can expose the other fighter. And as long as I have that one high price option, I'm cool.
1: Uh, Hunter in the chat goes, uh, Varum said this could be his last fight. Yeah. Okay.
2: It's Never. Very well could it.
1: be Pete. Come on, man. Never believe a fire when they say it could be.
2: He's only 42. I mean, If money talks, if say he does get cut or does not fight in UFC anymore, somebody else offers him a ton of money over in other organizations, he'll do it. He's going to dominate a local scene or a regional scene outside of the the UFC 100%.
1: He wants that Bellator money, man. That's what I was going to say.
2: That's what (laughs) I was going to say. He'll go over there and just, I would love to see the Bader fight. Well, yeah, that'd be interesting.
1: Yeah. Uh, Next up, we got a female matchup. uh, Carlos Barza taking on Marina Rodriguez. Uh, I actually talked to Alex Perez yesterday, one of the coaches for Carlos Barza. And Mm -hmm. one of the things he said to me is it goes, you know, kind of – the thing he goes, I feel people really don't talk about is how much Carla's striking has improved over the years. I mean, obviously everyone knows about Carla's, uh, you know, wrestling abilities. To me, that's her path to win the fight is, is get the fight to the ground. It, but I, I think it's always you, always your concern with Carla Sparza is, yes, you're going to get a, a good price on her, but it's whether she'll be able to put in the point value. I mean, look at her in her last fight where she was a favorite. On DK, she was uh, sorry. It was 8,400. She only scored 57.5 points in a win.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm always back on Carlos Spars, and I feel like you're always shaking your head at me. But it's because she's in favorable matchups. Now, in this matchup, she's priced down at 7,600, and oddly enough, I really don't have much interest here. You know, because I think that even if she does win, she doesn't necessarily justify being in your lineup as for its GPP. If you're looking for cash to pay down. Maybe it could work, but for me, she just doesn't do enough. And when I was seeing her fight against uh, Alexa Grasso, she starts really shooting takedowns from really far out, Jason, like really far out telegraphing and every fighter and every opponent she's facing knows that the, the punch is coming at them. They don't really have to worry too much because it's all the setup to takedown. So when you can kind of basically not eliminate, but not worry so much about the striking and focus just on those are just to set up the takedown or to get closer to me. Then you can start working on your footwork and evading those takedown attempts. Now let's say that Rodriguez really hasn't fought anybody with as far as wrestling acumen. She hasn't. Uh, Cynthia Calvillo is a great grappler. Was able to take her down several times. I like Rodriguez in this matchup, oddly enough at 8,600 based on, I think she can stuff some of Asparza's takedowns. is able to take down most people. Now Rodriguez hasn't really shown the best takedown defense, but she shows me that she has a really strong wizard. And if she has a really strong wizard and is able to move her hips, she might be able to do enough to keep it on the feet. Um, is this a is it an optimal fight, Jason? I'm going to say no, but I do like Rodriguez at 8,600 based on volume aggression. I think overall, if you take out wrestling, and you if they force to stand up, Rodriguez wins ten times out of ten. And then now I think it's like a six to four. I like Rodriguez here.
1: Rodriguez two oh and two in the UFC. Uh her last stoppage win came on the Contender Series Brazil version in twenty eighteen. Yeah. Last stoppage win
2: for Carlos Sparza. Uh Rosamunis. Yeah. Almost it's, six years ago. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. I mean, Carlos Farza has fought a lot of top people. Um, But over the years, people are catching on to your game. And I know that her coach was saying that she's improved a lot in her striking. But under the lights, she's really not showing any diversification where their game is kind of like the same regurgitated style. Mm -hmm. And if it's it's not broken, then why fix it? Right, Jason? But you're eventually going to run into a buzzsaw. I don't know if Rodriguez is that where she's able to just get her out. But the last person that was able to stuff Esparza's takedowns and really put a beating on her, and when Esparza starts to get discouraged, Yoana. think about that fight. That, oh, like, no. that's If you were to, trying to fight Carlos Esparza and you're a coach, you really want to look at that fight and say, look what Ioana did in this and try to emulate that as much as possible. Now, if you can do that, obviously, but Rodriguez is so aggressive. I like her here at 8,600.
1: Of course, be sure to hit that thumbs up button here on YouTube. If you do have any uh, questions, uh, leave that right now in the chat. Of course, uh, the show also available in podcast form. Uh, be sure to check out Awesome on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all, all the usual podcasting platforms. So be sure to check it out there. Uh, then we got Pete's favorite matchup of the card, the uh. DraftKings, 8,200, 8,000. Like, you know, it's like you and Dr. Fauci trying to throw a first pitch. You just don't like doing this fight, huh?
2: All right. What did I tell you before the before the show, there are a few things certain in life death, taxes, and do the opposite of what I tell you of the 8,200, 8,000 fight. Um, uh, do I have to break this down, Jason? I mean, you got to. Integu- okay.
1: Ugh. I think this is a must roster fight in GPP.
2: I mean, both the guys have a 95% finish rate for Antigua and Paul Craig, a hundred percent finish rate. I think somebody's getting finished here. And I don't think that's really bold of me saying that. Uh, antigolov is a round one or bust kind of guy. Mm-hmm. So at 8,200, you know what you're going to get. If it reaches, uh, you know, 10 seconds of the second round, he's still going to be gassed. You, that's just the truth.
1: Bro, you can't trust either one of these guys.
2: You can't, no, but you need exposure to it. You really do. Mm-hmm. Um, no, totally. Yeah, totally. I like Paul Craig slightly more. And the reason I like Paul Craig slightly more is what he showed me against a guy like Shogun. And then you're like, well, ultimately, it didn't really do anything to his career, but it showed me some improvements. And Tigulov, the last time he actually looked good, it's been a while, man. And he was hit with some shots from uh, Michael Ola Shechuk and then Ian Kutaleba. Like, the Ola shechuk I know that he's a power puncher, but a lot of those punches didn't really look that hard, Jason. They really didn't. And he was dropped several times. Now, if Paul Craig goes out there and starts throwing bombs like he was against Shogun, he's finishing in Tigulov. I'm telling you right now, he is.
1: By the way, Cameron in the chat's got a little request for you. He wants you to be all
2: over uh, <laughs> Tigulov. <laughs> yeah. Cameron, I'm sorry, bro. I like, I like Paul Craig, but... We know my history with the 8,200, 8,000 uh, price range, but I think I'm turning around this week, Paul Craig, baby. The uh,
1: the over one and a half, by the way, is plus 100.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Kind of tells you there. Um Yeah, th- this fight, good chance ends in the first round. Uh Gulov started 2-0 in the UFC. He's lost back-to-back both first round defeats. He's only gone to the decision once in his career. 23 of his 26 pro fights have ended in the first round. It's insane. Like, look, I, I I don't think I don't it to me it does not matter what side you're
2: on. You can't feel comfortable in this fight. No, I mean, okay, let's let's make an argument for both sides. Because for to be fair, unlike any sport, both guys have a legitimate chance to win. Mm-hmm. It's a fight. The odds are thrown out the window, the salaries, whatever. It's a fight. Anything can happen. And Tigulov has an amazing submission ability he's very very good on the ground and that's his path to victory we've seen paul craig kind of fold under pressure before which worries me because uh, a lot of guys were able to basically break him in there or put him in bad positions but we've also seen him do come from behind victories too off of his back with triangle chokes and everything so i have to slightly lean with craig and it hurts me to say i really do
1: the problem is going to be is I'm going to be 50-50 on this one. Yeah, you just know that
2: half your lineups are going to have a you're, you're going to have a guy who's got like two points. Yeah, I know, and that's the bad thing about doing trying to have exposure everywhere because when they lose, there goes those nice lineups. Like you could have an amazing, amazing combination of fighters. Like I had, I thought I had the optimal a couple weeks again, weeks ago. I'm sitting here looking at everybody. I have four fighters in hundred point range, and then Miley McCann goes out there and tosses up a goose egg for me and it's like dude there goes so many of my lineups. so you know be careful with your exposure
1: next time there's a fighter with a spinal fracture piece can be all over that fighter
2: <laughs> no hey it worked <laughs> out broken back chick fade her
1: <laughs> uh, next up uh cowboy Olivero, peter sabata Uh, Pierre Sabata has not been active as his first fight since March of 2018. Uh, This is his second stint in the UFC. He came back in 2014. This will be his seventh fight since 2014. Tell you you a little bit of something there. It does have 10 submission win. Cowboy Oliver, of course, he's been in the UFC for a while, coming off that win against Max Griffin. His last three fights have gone the distance.
2: Interesting fight, man. Talk about inconsistency. This whole car should be just labeled inconsistency because there's so many guys that have shown potential and promise and then have dropped fights and, uh, have folded under pressure. And Cowboy Oliveira is one of those guys, um, has some crazy wins and also has some losses that make you scratch your head and you're like, what? So Cowboy Oliveira kind of made a career out of beating middling guys like this in 155 pound 170 pound division. So, the problem and the worry here for Oliveira is if Sabata is able to take him down or get a good position on him and, you know, work his submission game because Sabata can submit so many people in this division. Um, pretty aggressive, but doesn't have crazy high output. Sabata only 2.17 strikes per minute. Cowboy Oliveira, you think that he does more, more than what the stats say. 2.88 strikes per minute. It's an okay fight to target. It's not one of my favorites. I do – have a slight lean to Olivera. How about you?
1: Uh, Slightly. Yeah. I would go slightly in Olivera as well. Uh, Yeah.
2: Sabata at 7,500 though, Jason, not a horrible play and I'll sprinkle in some Sabata because we've seen Olivera tap pretty easily. Uh, Cowboy Cerrone is a guy to think of, Um, you know, Sabata, if he is able to reverse a position and we've seen Olivera gas as well too. So, you would think Olivera is able to do enough here, striking-wise, maybe wrestling-wise. I would throw that that strategy out the window. He always tends to grapple when he's tired. So he'll strike, start piecing people up, and then resort to takedowns and grappling. And uh, against a guy like Sabata, be careful with that strategy.
1: By the way, best great headline on uh, MMAfighting.com, Black Alex Cowboy Olivera talking to the media today. Yeah. Uh, he ne- he needs to win the bonus. You know Why? Why? To help feed his 10 kids oh my gosh yeah you better win the
2: bonus um 10 10 he is he's 32 oh my maybe he had like quintuplets or something so it's like the numbers are skewed
1: I uh, don't no, I don't think that's <laughs> the case I don't think that's the case uh next up we got the fight that I think everyone uh it was funny is right before the show. I put out a, a tweet promoting the show and, you know, mentioned about one of the, the questions we would answer is about uh, how do you fit Chimeneva in your lineup on DraftKings at, at 9.8K. And uh, Josh
2: goes, the answer is you just do. Yeah, Josh Joshua and I were talking on Twitter. He's all over Chimaev. Um, I can't blame him. I mean, ninety eight is crazy, but is it really if you think he's going to go out there and wipe the floor with his opponent? I mean, the issue – becomes roster construction which underdogs are you rostering to make that possible that's the only way around it because there's no way you're going to be able to roster Chamiya at 9800 another 9000 option and then have the rest of your lineup looking amazing with some like spots you feel great with you know um i'll have plenty of chamiya at 9800 cuz there's a few underdogs that i like but i'll also avoid it because if he doesn't face any resistance you know, against McKee, he's not going to really pay. I mean, he'll get you 100 points, but maybe his ceiling's kind of capped if he finishes them too quickly. You understand what I'm saying? But let's say
1: 70% of the fights go to decision. Even if he gets like 108,
2: is it worth it? If he gets 100, so in my eyes, right? You don't know how the card's going to unfold, so it's hard to, it's hard to okay. put. Well, okay, I guess you kind of do know. How the no, play.
1: no, 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 it. no. And who's scoring the fight for fight metric?
2: And it's yes. going
1: to give you significant strikes
2: on the ground. Yeah, yeah, you're right with that because that's been a little iffy lately, man. It's been a little iffy, and uh, if you're not getting the the points you should be getting, you're going to be very frustrated. So at 9,800, if he doesn't get you 110 points, maybe you could have gone without it. I, it all depends on the other 9,000 options, Jason. Look, what do he, they score? He,
1: to me, is a fan duel play. I just think you put him in your fan duel lineup and you don't even question it.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as
1: cool. Cameron says in the chat, $20 for Chimna is a gift from the MBA gods.
2: Uh yeah, 100%. Um, I like I like him here though. At 9800, I have plenty of him. But to have maybe the middle approach for a lineup is a little undervalued this week, and a little overlooked because I'm not saying you go all mid value, but how many people, everybody automatically, casuals are gonna see 9800. This guy's the LeBron. Put, put him in. He's the Giannis. Put him in, and I can't blame him. We really don't know much about Jemaya besides what we've seen. He's only has seven wins. Okay, seven. Very impressive. Tons of hype. Great wrestling. How does he respond to a few things, Jason? How does he respond to if he gets uh, if he gets uh, exhausted? Uh, if he gets reversed? If he gets cracked? We don't know. Those are all unknown. So ninety eight hundred. I feel very confident. He's a minus 1,200 favorite for a guy that has one fight in the UFC. That tells you everything you need to know right there. I'll have plenty of him.
1: The uh, 10-day turnaround concern for you? No, not really.
2: But, okay, 10-day turnaround from fighting John Phillips. We knew that was an easy matchup, a very, very easy matchup. You couldn't have asked for a better matchup as a dominant wrestler. There's not a fighter out there that I think has a worse takedown defense than John Phillips. Oh. Right?
1: No, there's not.
2: Okay, uh, or he doesn't even know how to get back to his feet. Here's
1: here's the thing. As a matchmaker, you should yeah. never book John Phillips against a, a, a takedown guy unless you want John Phillips to lose.
2: And they did. They did not want him to lose,
1: and it makes it, sense. It, so going back to that fight, so he was two for two in takedowns, uh, he landed 43 significant strikes and two passes.
2: Okay. Say say he gets to the third round, gets two more takedowns. Maybe McKee's, McKee's good. I don't want people to think that McKee's a scrub because he's not. McKee's good. He's very good. And I think in a normal circumstance, in a normal matchup, we'd probably like him a decent amount. But the matchup against a dominant wrestler here, no thank you for McKee. Chemayev at 9,800. Sprinkle them in. Have plenty of them if you feel confident in that. FanDuel, that's like a lock button on FanDuel.
1: You know, I, I used the fancy cruncher tool we have over Office of no Plus. Uh and I locked in Chemayev. Yeah. The next highest percentage own is Darren Till at 81%, and then Mike Grundy at
2: 60%. My boy, Mike Grundy, we're going to get to him. We're going to get to him. I like Mike a lot.
1: Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, we'll go move down the car. Cause well, we have a crap ton of fights to talk about. Uh, we got uh, a and, and Herbert Trinaldo. I mean, this is when is father time going to catch up with this guy? I think that's like the biggest question you have to ask yourself because
2: he has the ability to make, f- to really take fire out of their game. Yeah. He's the anomaly for the whole, uh, ring, uh, age is going to catch up to you or father time whereas dominic cruz is the anomaly for ring rest. Mm-hmm. um some guys just look better as they get older and get more mature and ternaldo is 15 and 6 in the ufc going up against herbert who's 10 and 1 herbert's a very good striker and ternaldo is too ternaldo's a very very pressure type of guy but little output and if i'm taking a look at the stats throws three strikes a minute absorbs two strikes a minute only goes for about a takedown per 15 minutes has a 52% finish rate. Whereas Herbert who's 10 and one has a 90% finish rate. And I think that Herbert's going to be a guy that a lot of people look at for uh, an underdog play, uh, pick, hoping that lot mm-hmm. the times caught up to him. And you know, this is kind of the, I don't know, the new age coming in and Herbert has looked great on the regional scene but chernaldo and saying that he's not fighting slouches man like he's really not uh, alexander hernandez i mean yeah he's dropped some fights but he's fought legitimate guys and hasn't been finished by them um as of late why would herbert be any different here other than the reach they bring up the reach six foot one for herbert with a 77 inch reach pretty Crazy. significant when uh Ternaldo is a 70 inch reach. So seven inch reach advantage for Herbert. That could be the difference maker here. Unless
1: Ternaldo just, you know, makes this a grapple fest.
2: Yeah. But you know, Ternaldo, when it comes to submissions, we've seen him get submitted several times as well. Kevin Lee's a guy you think of. Um, So it's a fight for me that uh, my, my brain saying Ternaldo's is going to do enough to get another decision. He's like, uh, only averaging 62 fantasy points per fight you know if it's not broken why fix it I usually avoid Trinaldo. um maybe I'll have one lineup with Herbert 21 fights in the UFC for Trinaldo.
1: 13 have gone the distance yep. he has never been knocked out in his career. Uh, and Herbert, uh, is one, six straight. Uh, the last five have come via stoppage. Uh, and then we got Nicholas Dalby and Jesse Ronson, Jesse Ronson returning to the UFC. Uh, first time around goes, Oh, and three, all split decision losses. Um, it, and this is one of those fights that if it was at 55, I think you would probably be more interested in Jesse in that spot.
2: But the fact that it's at 70, no, not really. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I was watching Ronson, and I'm watching film on him, and I'm like, dude, against Natan Schultz, the PFL champ over there, uh, I'm basically like a day's notice. He goes in there, and he's doing great. He hurt Nathan Schultz, dropped him with a body shot, and then was able to get up from getting taken down, I don't know how many times. He was getting taken down plenty of times. Judo throwed, and then reversed, and held down. But he showed a lot of promise there, and uh, Ronson was a guy I was looking at. And I was, you know, going through everything, and I realized, wait a minute, this is at 170 pounds, and he was just getting taken down like crazy at 155 pounds. Uh, Dolby's a very, very good fighter, and is good all around. Very, you know, well-rounded fighter. Good striking, good wrestling, good pressure, good coaches. And I like the fact that he's back in the UFC. We saw what he did at Cowboy Oliveira. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also seen Dolby, you know, in his first stint with the UFC. A lot of people don't realize he was in the UFC beforehand. Uh, you know, Eliza uh, Zaleski Dos Santos has a victory over him. So he definitely is able to win tough fights. 9,200 for a guy that has a ton of potential in the division? Okay. A guy who can resort to takedowns if he needs to win rounds? Okay, against a guy that struggles to defend takedowns for the most part. Outside of Ronson's amazing body shots, Ronson really has some great, great body shots. I think this is Dolby's fight. And even at 9,200, I'll sprinkle him in in a few lineups. He's not one of my favorite 9,000 options because, you know, he's averaging 48.9 fantasy points and doesn't have the best finish rate—56% finishes in 18 fights. He should win the fight. As far as DraftKings, yeah, you know, you might you might have better uh, options. Of course, that is the fighter,
1: Pete Rogers Jr. This is the UFC Fight Night number 3 DFS Strategy Show. We are sponsored by Superdraft. The future of daily fantasy sports has arrived. Experience Superdraft's exclusive game mode, Multiplier. Say goodbye to salary restrictions and hello to lineup freedom. Use your... Fantasy sports knowledge to draft any player you want and build your very own dream team. Countless line of possibilities let you experience daily fantasy sports the way you want. Superdraft offers contests for PGA, NASCAR, and MMA so you can enjoy the best of DFS all year round. Sign up for Superdraft today using the promo code AWESOME010 and it's $10 free on your first deposit of $10 or more and $20 total for your first deposit of $100 or more. Download in the App Store or play at Superdraft.io. Superdraft, no limits more winning also be sure to head over to awesomeo.com and sign up for the awesome plus MMA weekly pass where you get access to all the great awesome plus tools and content for the upcoming UFC fight Island. Number no. three DFS slate with an awesome plus MMA weekly pass for eight 95. This includes full access to Osmo's leading fire projections, Ownership projections and the top fighter tool. There's never been a better time for MMA DFS, so step into the octagon today. Uh, i tell you, I look at Alex's projections and ownership projections, top fighters tools, over 100-point tools, so many great options to check out there over at Awesome Plus. Plus. Uh, next up, we got uh, Tom Aspinall versus Jake Collier. Uh, Tom is a guy that definitely has got my eye. In this matchup, Pete, uh, UFC debut, is won three in a row. Jake Collier, uh, you know, he's an up and down guy in the UFC. Three and three, alternating wins and losses here, coming off a decision win against uh, Marcel Fortuna. Um, I could see Tom at 8,800 on DK being a, being a, an option that people might be looking at.
2: Yeah, I it is crazy for me to say this, but Aspinall is one of my favorite guys on the card. And it's because of what I'm seeing in his fights, what I'm seeing in the training room, what I'm listening to on interviews. I just like his credentials too. I mean, a sparring partner for Tyson Fury, uh, wrestling champ. The guy is just well-rounded and he's able to, he, I mean, he trains with Darren Till all the time. They're like best buds. He's I'm all over team Calbon this week for the most part outside the main event. It's a little tough, but, uh, Aspinall at 8,800 in a heavyweight bout against Collier, who has basically fought in 185-pound division, then a 205-pound division, and alternated wins and losses and had some ups and downs, like you said. We've seen Collier have some you know, some good moments with spinning back kicks and striking. He has like a really good one round in him, and then usually starts to resort to the takedowns. Now, in the heavyweight division against a guy who has amazing hands and has boxed in Aspinall, I like Aspinall, and I don't think that he's just a boxer. The guy has really, really good grappling as well. So I think Aspinall here at 8,800, you know, is a guy I'm I'm really heavy on. I like him a lot, and I think that the public might not be on this fighter as much as they should. I like him here in this matchup against a guy that used to fight in 185 pound division
1: you like Mike Grundy as well. The, the wrestler we saw him last year come in as an upset, uh, knocking out, uh, not Uh, he's taken on, uh, Evilove here, uh, evil of 9,100. Uh, so, y- you know, t- t- tell the people about why you like Mike Grundy in this spot.
0: Yeah. So, I mean,
2: Evloev here at 9,100 is not, you know, a chump at all. He's very, very good, has a lot of hype behind him and is a great grappler. Has the volume type of striking no knockout ability in my opinion like you know no knockout power um, obviously anything can happen you can accumulate a knockdown through tons of strikes but if I'm looking at film Grundy definitely has the power edge and I would even say the boxing technique would side with Grundy now evelev does throw kicks where Grundy he throws a little bit but not really where Evlov's throwing head kicks Evelov really resorts to takedowns a lot. And I saw that against Enrique Barzola and how he's constantly looking to make sure he gets rounds definitively and taking fighters down. Mike Grundy is a freestyle you know, bronze medalist and incredible grappler. So Grundy has wrestling in his back pocket. And I think if there's anybody that can stop Evelov's takedowns and force him to stand up, or to prevent a takedown and spin behind him and put him in a bad spot. I think Grundy's the guy. I really do. I think Grundy, his speed of his takedowns, the way he's able to chain, the way he's able to reverse positions. Evloev was in some bad spots and was actually taken down by Enrique Barzola and slammed pretty good. But he also took Barzola down a ton of times and started to fatigue, started to leave his neck out there. And Barzola really started to get a ton of momentum in that fight, was able to spin around, reverse some positions, man. Give me Grundy here at 7,100. I don't know if he goes out there and busts the slate and has an amazing performance. I know he he got the knockout win against Nat Armani, but at 7,100, man, if he goes out there and gets a a, a victory talking 75 and up, I think that's fine. And
1: and super draft. I think he'd be a great play at 1.5 times. Yeah,
2: I, I totally agree. Um, I think 1.5 times for Grundy is a, a very sneaky play.
1: Bozer and uh, Nunez heavyweights here. Bozer, 8,900. You know, we talked about, uh, you know, obviously he's coming off that knockout win uh, against Philippe Weins. You know, prior to that, he had, uh, you know, I, I pulled the set up here. 12 of Bozer's last 15 fights have gone the distance. That, um, you know, Nunez, one-on-one, the UFC. Um, first fight since decision win against Jeff Hughes, uh, losses USCW against Rio Gagne. Um, my my only fear in taking Bozer in this spot is merely at 8,900.
2: Are we looking at another decision? Yeah. Bozer's priced up because of his excellent knockout over Philippe and Linz 8,900 for a guy that's primarily known for winning decisions against, you know, tough competitors. And I think that he does the same here. I mean, I'll, I'll have a, A few shares of Bozer at 8,900, and I think that he goes out there and gets it done based on his leg kicks, his movement, um, his output. Bozer throws four strikes a minute, whereas Pozoa throws 2.4. More power for Pozoa, more explosive techniques. um, But overall game, I I like Bozer, man. I really do. Ty asked, he goes, Bozer, talk about
1: the difficulty to train during COVID. Take anything into that? So He was talking about
2: the same exact thing for his previous fight against Felipe Lins, and uh, you know, they said the same thing about two weeks and, and how he wasn't able to train. For, he looked amazing out there, Jason. I don't care what he's been doing, whether he's been doing pull ups on monkey bars, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I like Bozer, and I'm not gonna say that Pazoa doesn't have a shot because he does and has crazy power and some great combinations. So, Pazoa at 7,300 definitely has potential to upset bozer but the likely scenario is bozer gets another decision here
1: there's always five set for me i cross out uh best versus Panny here i i have no interest in this one
2: yeah i don't either i don't want to watch it but uh you know betch has a nice win against the jar eubanks you know I, I can't take that away from her she does wasn't really the best performance though jason it really wasn't uh Keon Zod, She's Been up and down in her UFC career from the ultimate fighter, uh, one and two in the UFC. Betch five, four, and one in the UFC. It's an okay matchup, but not really a DFS, like you know, plug me in type of fight. I wish Kianza was priced cheap because I would probably play a lot of her based on the upside. Betch 7,800 on paper, you think that she should go out there and win, but Kianzad's actually shown shown some nice. Uh, Boxing technique and going throwing great combinations. It's pretty even though. Betch has a a worse strikes absorbed at 4.28. From what I'm seeing on film, I think Kianza can do enough to win a decision. Kianza, nine
1: of her 12 wins via decision. Betch Cohea nine of her 11 wins by decision prior to that Eubanks win one four and one yeah. in her previous six. It's just, I think from a DFS perspective, I just, I don't see the winner scoring much because I do think it's going to go 15 minutes. Uh, next up, uh, we've got MF versus, uh, Nicholas here. Uh, MF one of the biggest favorites on the card.
2: Yeah. So, uh, MA against Stoles. I really like this fight and I, I do. Um, Maev here at 9,400 for a guy that's has somewhat of a slow pace, can get takedowns to secure rounds, but is not the best finisher. He has a 56% uh, finish rate stoles on tape. I thought he was going to look like a scrub and he does not at all. He's 12 and three and actually has great technique, good striker, good uh, just overall game. And I'm pretty impressed with what I saw from him. I just don't like the matchup for him though, because I think that, he has potential to upset Amaev here, unless Amaev starts to really, you know, pour it on him and start to go for takedowns. He's not a guy I'm looking at at 6,800. I mean, you're talking about UFC de- debut against a guy who has a crazy grappling advantage over you. Amayev should win this fight. 9,400's pretty pricey, though. So I'll probably avoid most of it, but he's a safe win.
1: Then opening fight, you've got, uh, Nathaniel Wood taking on John Castaneda 9,500 on DK for, for, uh, Nathaniel Wood 19 on, uh, FanDuel 1.1 1. 1 times. Uh, I talked to John Castaneda, um, about 10 days ago and, uh, he had a couple opportunities to get into the UFC, but it was more about the weight issue of being able to make weight, uh, in a timely fashion. Uh, Nathaniel Wood's probably going to be a very popular
2: play. I love Nathaniel Wood. I do. Um. Actually, know his striking coach, and I really like him here. Um, Ninety-five hundred, though. Oof, oof. But the guy kind of backs up the salary, though, Jason. And yeah, he has good striking output, um, good takedown potential, good ground game, good finishing ability. Eighty-eight percent finishing ability of his sixteen wins, which is insane for that weight division, one hundred and thirty-five pounds. I like Wood here to rack up points, man. I do. He's a guy that I'm targeting averaging 83 and a half fantasy points. Does he deliver at the 9,500 compared to the other 9K options? Tough to say, but I, I definitely think that he's going to get it done.
1: Let's get a couple questions in here before we get out of here. Cameron, uh, which of the $18 plus guys on FanDuel has the toughest fight matchup-wise?
2: Well, Whitaker and Till, 21 and 19, respectively. I think that's one of the hardest fights on the card. Shogun Hua against Noguera. Guy knows you really well. I'd say the main event is definitely the toughest of them. And then I would say, after that, it's pretty, pretty one sided Evlov against Grundy. I think that Grundy's going to give him problems.
1: Uh, Ty says three fighters for cash on Fanduel: Chimnev in the MVP
2: spot at twenty dollars. I don't let. I don't hate that. I, I'm not going to tell you not to do that on Fanduel. Fanduel, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, I like Chimayev. I really like Aspinall. Um, I like I like Wood too. I mean, nineteen little discount. I like that.
1: Someone asked about top three on FanDuel MVP. Would you put Nathaniel Wood in that, in that core?
2: I like Nathaniel Wood a lot.
1: Yeah. Uh, Next up, uh, shoot, 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 let's get to um, Samuel goes, is it the contrarian play will be picking four underdogs and who would have the potential of any upsets?
2: Oof. Okay. Well, four, four underdogs. 15 fights. That's about right. That's, that's about right. Um, just where do they score? I I think that's right. Yeah. Like you can have the picks, right. Not have the the optimal. Obviously. I don't know if I'd be searching underdog city though. Like find some fighters that you feel really confident in. If they're the favorite, so be it. Don't really like, obviously, my minus 1200, the odds are showing you. That's a very nice, very nice spot for him
1: got a Paul Craig question for you. I know you'd love that. Oh, uh, do you like Craig at MVP on FanDuel for GPP?
2: No. Well, okay. not with my money. I wouldn't do that. And the reason I want to do that is because that fight is so volatile. That is such a volatile but spot.
0: The first that, round that,
2: Bonus though. I know. I know. But I think, I think, uh, Aspinall can get us a, a finish, man. I do. Uh, I mean, if you want to sit on the edge of your seat, get like the biggest adrenaline rush ever, I guess you could do that.
1: Yeah, I, that fight, I'm just, uh, don't feel good either way. No. Uh, Valentine, uh, says a fight, as far as a fight going to turn out like Pantoja Askarov, where a very good grappler nullifies a better than average striker with poor takedown
2: defense um could could happen. I mean that's the worry when you have a good striker going up against a takedown artist and uh that's where the striker has to be very careful with what they throw so that they don't overextend and leave themselves susceptible to getting taken down. I do however think that Rodriguez might be the person that can can beat Asparza as convincingly.
1: Uh let's end on this note Let's go with uh let's get your picks.
2: All right, you start. Let me see.
1: Uh give me Whitaker. Huh? Give me Shogun. Give me Gustafson. Don't feel great about it. Um Gimme Carlos Barza.
2: Okay.
1: Antigulov. Oliveira. you going Antigulov? Yeah, I'm going to Antigulov. No, now. you're not.
2: Okay, okay.
1: <laughs> Look, you said death taxes and pick against Pete on the 8,000. <laughs> so Okay. I'm, I'm I'm using your rule. <laughs> uh, give me Herbert Give me Dalby Aspinall I'll go with Grundy With the upset there Give me Bozer Give me uh, Panty against Betch Give me Ameve And give me uh, Nathaniel
2: Wood Damn you went at Herbert too? Okay yeah. Okay Okay I'm going with <sighs> Main event's tough I am going to You know for my lineups Slight lean Like barely Till, and i'll actually stick with that i'll say till wins shogun uh gustafson, rodriguez craig olivera chemaev trinaldo dalby aspinall grundy bozer kianzad amaev wood
1: uh final question goes how would you rank gustafson bozer and aspinall as the three heavyweight favorites
2: How would I rank Gustafson, Bozer, and Aspinall? Okay. I mean, I'm taking – I need to find a fighter that I feel pretty confident in, and I know that it's Aspinall's UFC debut. The guy's got a ton of hype behind him, and I love what I see on film. So Aspinall, of those guys, for me personally, is my favorite. Gustafson, I guess, would be my two, and Bozer my three. But the worry with Gustafson is what translates to the heavyweight division?
1: Oh, it's, it's question. a question mark. Yeah. yeah but of course uh we'll be back here on saturday live before lock 4 p.m eastern time of course so uh, you gotta check out those weigh-ins tomorrow to see how the fighters look especially Gustafsson. and what does he look like as a heavyweight, of course, be sure to hit that thumbs up button here on YouTube. Uh, always does help us. Of course, so the show also available on podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all the usual spots. So that is going to wrap it up for this edition of the DFS Strategy Show. SP Rogers Jr. I am Jason Floyd. Of course, be sure to check out all the great content we have over Osmo.com with the start of MLB back, and we
0: will see you on Saturday for Live Before Lock.